Giving is one of the best decisions you'll ever make in life. It's a God-designed pathway to blessing. This message is the fifth in the series, The Power of Personal Choices. The message is entitled, Be a Giver. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Today we're continuing a series of messages uh, entitled The Power of Personal Choices. I want to talk to you about one of the most significant lessons that I have learned in my own spiritual journey. I learned this a number of years ago and continue to learn it. Uh, And anything in your relationship with God, it's not that you ever learn it all. You continue to learn as you go along in your journey with God. But one of the important lessons of life is learning how to be a giver. And I want to talk to you about making the choice in your life to be a giver. And don't be afraid. This is not the kind of choice. We're not going to take up an offering at the end of the message, okay? So just relax. Uh, This is about teaching you a principle about your life. And the Bible teaches us that God gave every one of us a very unique gift, and this gift of of a free will. We get to choose how we're going to live our lives. And the choices that we make will determine our destiny. If you make the right choices, you'll end up in the right places in life and obviously the right place for eternity. And if you make the wrong choices, you end up in the wrong places of life. And so it's all about you and I making personal choices. And if you want to improve your life, you improve your choices. The better your choices, the better your life is going to be. And one of those choices is the choice of learning how to be a giver. In this series, we've been looking at a man by the name of Samuel. And the Old Testament prophet, he was, a, he was a transitional character in the Old Testament, leading Israel out of a time of idolatry and wickedness into the first king of Israel named Saul and ultimately to the second king, David. So Samuel, as a priest and a prophet, was a very important figure. And surrounding the entrance of Samuel into the world are several different characters that make key decisions, some good and some not so good. And today we're looking at one of the characters again. Her name was Hannah. We talked a bit about Hannah last week, but I want to draw your attention back to Hannah again because Hannah is Samuel's mother. Let me set the stage for you. Again, this is a very significant, critical time in Israel's history in the Old Testament. It was a time when God's people were not serving God faithfully at all. They had walked away from God. Many of them had. But there was a man by the name of Elkanah, and Elkanah continued to stay committed to God. And every year, Elkanah would draw his family together. They would go to a place called Shiloh, and Shiloh was the place where the tabernacle existed and the Ark of the Covenant was there. It was where Israel was called to worship before Jerusalem was established as a place of worship. And so every year, year after year, Elkanah would bring his family together to the house of the Lord. Elkanah was married to a lady by the name of Hannah. He loved Hannah very dearly, but Hannah could not have children. And this was a big burden in Hannah's life. She wanted to present Elkanah a son, and she could not do this. She could not have kids. And so each year when they would come to the house of God, she would go before the presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant, the atmosphere of worship and praise, and she would pour out her heart to God for a child. And we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. In her, Hannah, around this, in this atmosphere of worship, around the presence of God, in the presence of God, crying out to God in her pain about a desire for a child. Let me read this for you. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will be ever be used on his head. Hannah came to the place in her prayer that she'd never been before. She came to this place this year, this particular year, where she said, God, if you'll answer this prayer for me and give me a son, I will give him back to you. 
He will not even be my son. I promise you that he will be the first fruits of a gift that I will give back to you. Now, think about this. I can't even imagine this kind of decision being made by Hannah. It was a, a decision of, of consecration and dedication and surrender. But she said, God, if you will do this for me, I will give him back to you. She made a promise. Now, let's pick up the story after uh, now God has granted her her request. And uh, Eli, the pro- Eli, the priest at that time in Shiloh, has now prophesied over her and declared that she was going to have a child. She gives birth to a son. So let's see what happens here. After he was weaned, that was Samuel, and she finally given birth and answered her prayers, and God's promised her. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young, with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and Eli's the priest there at Shiloh. And she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live. I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. Read the first part of the next verse with me. So now I give him to the Lord. Say that with me again. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. What you see is that Hannah not only made a promise to God when she was in deep pain, but she actually fulfilled the promise. How many of us have said to God, God, if you'll only do this, then I will do. If, I'll, if you'll only do this, I will obey you in this way. If you'll only do this, God, I will fulfill this in my life. And then God helps us, and we sort of forget about what we promised God that we would do. We forget about our vow, but Hannah didn't do that. Hannah prayed, said, God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And when the time came, she brought him to the house of God, and she fulfilled the promise that she'd made to God. This is a tremendous woman. She is a woman that gives us a tremendous example about the ability to make a choice. Each one of us have the choice to give to God. So I'm going to talk to you for the next few moments about seven things that are essential in your life. If you're going to be a giver, that you must understand about giving. Giving is a very important theme in the Bible. Because as we'll see at the end of this message, giving is really the pathway to the fullest blessing you'll ever have in life. Getting is not the pathway to blessing. Giving is the pathway to blessing. And most of us think if I could just get this or get that, I would be blessed. No, no, it's not about that at all. If I could just give this or give that, that's where blessing really flows from life. And we'll see some lessons regarding it. Let me give you what the Bible teaches, at least seven things the Bible teaches about giving. Number one, the Bible teaches us that giving honors God. Hannah's gift of Samuel to God actually was an expression of her worship. It was not just giving a gift. It was what she was saying, God, I worship you. I honor you. Because giving is not just something sort of separate from worship. Giving is actually a part of worship. When you give to God, you're giving. There's an act of worship, an act of honoring God associated with it. Let me just digress for a moment and explain what I mean by giving. When we give to God, we give in three primary ways, okay? Your time, your treasure, and your talents. Those are really the three things that you have to give to God. You can give God your time. You can give God your treasure. That's the material dimensions of your life that he blesses you with. And he can give, you can give to God your talents, your capacities, your willingness to serve him in some way. So that's when we talk about giving today. It's not just a financial message. This is about giving to God your time, your treasure, and your talents. Say those three things with me. Your time, your treasures, and your talents. So this is a comprehensive perspective of giving. When we give, we honor God because giving is who God is. 
See, God is a giver. By nature, God is one that gives. He is a giver. It is a part of His character. And one of the best ways that you can ever honor someone is by imitating them, right? If I want to honor you, then I look at you and say, wow, I, I'm amazed at how you do this or that or your personality or some part of your character. And so when I emulate you, when I imitate you, what I'm actually doing is honoring you. I'm honoring who you are because I'm wanting some of that to be a part of me. And so when you and I give to God, it is a sense of worship to Him and a way that we honor God and say, God, I want to be like you. I want your nature to be in me. I want to be, to use another word, I want to be godly. And being godly means to be like God, to live a life that gives honor to God in a way that it simulates and, and, and imitates who God is. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, listen to this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, that is with your resources, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Notice that God says, I want you to honor me with, the, with your resources, with your wealth, the wealth of your life, your time, your treasure, your talents, with the first fruits of all that, you, that comes into your life, then you can trust me that everything else will be provided for. And this is exactly what Hannah did. She gave her first fruits to God. She gave Samuel to God. We honor God by giving to God. Number two, giving is about trust. The Bible teaches us that giving is not about the, what you actually give. It's about the fact that in your giving, you're showing that you trust God. Hannah's gift of Samuel to God required a lot of trust, didn't it? Amen? I mean, if you're going to take your kid and give your kid over to Eli the priest to serve, and he's not going to be in your household anymore, you've got to trust God big time. And so there's a massive dimension of trust that's going on here in Hannah's heart. And part of what you see when you study the topic of giving in the Bible, you see that God actually gives us commands and principles and, and, and appeals and laws related to, to giving because he wants us to understand the value of it in our life. Because actually giving is the pathway of demonstrating and developing your trust in God. You'll never demonstrate that you trust God or actually develop your trust in God until you become a giver. It's, it's really easy to say, God, I trust you until God asks you to give something. And as soon as God asks you to give, you say, well, God, I trust you, but I don't want to give that. God, I trust you, but you really don't want me to give a tithe, do you? God, I trust you, but you really don't want me to dedicate that time to ministry, that time to prayer and devotion. God, you don't really want me to, I mean, that's a major portion of my day. God, you don't want me to do that. I trust you, but, or God, I trust you, but I don't want to serve you. I don't want to be a part of that ministry at church because it takes up too much time and energy. And so we pull back, and oftentimes what's really going on is we're saying by our lack of giving, by our unresponsiveness to a challenge to give, when God brings it our way, we're saying, God, we really, really, really don't trust you. And Hannah demonstrated she really did trust God because she was willing to give. I want to take you to a story in the Bible, another story that shows how this idea of trust is linked to giving. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17. Let me set up the story for you very quickly. Elijah was, this is a story about Elijah the prophet. He's a prophet during the time of um, uh, Kings Ahab and Jezebel. Anybody heard of Ahab? Ahab and, you certainly heard of Jezebel, right? 
And again, it was a wicked time in Israel. Ahab and Jezebel were trying to kill Elijah. And so Elijah had prophesied that it was not going to rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. He's having to hide from Ahab and Jezebel because Ahab and Jezebel are trying to kill him. And so God sends him to a brook where he's hiding by a brook. And actually birds, ravens come and feed him by that brook. And there comes a point in time when the brook dries up because it hasn't rained for a long, long time. And so the brook has no more water. And so God speaks to him now in, in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now think about that with, this, with me this morning. If you were going to go get food, you would normally think of he heading to the house of a widow to get it, right? First of all, probably limited resources. Second of all... This is a pitiful person. She's going through her own challenges and suffering her own pain. So why would you go to the house of a widow to be supplied? But God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave the brook here. It's dried up. And go to the house of this widow. And she's going to supply you with food. So, verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. So he shows up where God tells him, and there's a little widow there, and he says, you know, there she's gathering sticks to, to make a fire, and he says, hey, could you bring me a, a, a glass of water? And she's starting to go get a glass of water. He says, and by the way, would you bake me a loaf of bread? See how the response happens now. Verse 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. I don't have any bread. I don't have it to give. Only a handful of flour and a jar and a little olive oil and a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now, if you were Elijah, what would you have done at that point? Oh, this is crazy. She can't take care of me. She doesn't have enough for herself. But notice what happens because Elijah is operating not as a man at this moment. He's operating as a man of God. Okay, it's a very big difference. Okay, he's now operating as a man of God. Verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, everybody say first. Okay, this is important. First, make a small loaf of bread for me. Now think about this. The only way you'll understand this story is realize he's not operating as a man. He's operating as a man of God. It's the only way you'll understand this story. Okay. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. So he says, do this because God has a promise for you. If you'll do this first, there's a promise that's going to be released in your life. Sometimes in life, you've got to obey God's command and then the fulfillment of the promise happens for you. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. In other words, Elijah said, if you'll do this, if you'll take this, act, this step of faith, if you'll trust God in this way, God will take care of you. But it starts with your act of trust. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. What did she demonstrate in that moment? Trust. Notice this. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the, for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry 
in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. It pays to trust God, okay? And how do you demonstrate that you trust God? You demonstrate you trust God. One of those ways is by doing what? By being a, what did this lady have to do? She had to give to find the release of blessing in her life. And so many people are just locked into their world and they're missing incredible blessings because they haven't taken the step to learn to be a giver, just like Hannah did and just like this widow at Zarephath did. Number three, giving acknowledges rightful ownership. I just want to talk about this one very briefly. As you've written that down, I want to ask you a question. Where does every, every good thing in your life come from? Do you really believe that? You say, well, I work hard for what I have. It's mine because I work hard for it. Well, let me ask you a question. Where did you get the energy to work hard for what you have? Where did you get the opportunities to provide for you those things that you have in your life? Where did all of that come from? The Bible says in James chapter 1 that every good and perfect gift comes from God. I think we ought to stop just for a moment and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your blessings. Amen. Thank you for every good thing you brought into my life. And what we do is this. When we, when we give to God, we're acknowledging that he's the rightful owner anyway. You don't, own, you don't really own anything that you have. You know that? You, you don't own anything that you have. I've said it to you before. I'll remind you of it. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Right? You don't take anything with you, Right? You're going to leave everything behind. You know why? You were just borrowing it temporarily while you were here. Okay? And so what you have and you think is so important to you, it's going to, you're not going to take it with you. Okay? That's why Jesus said, don't lay it for yourselves treasures on earth where moth uh, will eat away and rust corrodes, etc. But he says, lay it for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. That's the only thing that's going to last. Okay? And so we get so caught up in what's mine. What's the first word that every child learns? Mine. I don't know, they like have a toddler school that teaches that. I don't know, maybe it's just, it's just hardwired into every kid. Mine, 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 okay? And sadly, there are a lot of people that are 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 and 90 that are still living on the mine. My, my, mine. And God wants to help you to realize it's not yours, it's all His, okay? Everything you have belongs to Him. And when you and I give, it is a declaration that we, we know that what we have came from God. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 23. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false witness, you shall not defraud, uh, you shall not defraud, honor your father or mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. Wouldn't it be sad to get to heaven and realize that we missed a lot of great things in our because of just one thing? Jesus didn't say 20 things you lack or 50 things you lack. He said there's one thing missing in your life. Go sell everything you have and do what? What was the one thing lacking in his life? The willingness to do what? To give. The willingness to give. Which is the one thing that was keeping him from the greatest blessing. And maybe that's true in your life. The one thing that's keeping you from the release of greater blessings for your life is the same thing 
that this young man faced in his life, this unwillingness to give. Go sell everything you have. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus worried about the fact that this guy was wealthy? No. It had nothing to do with this man having wealth. There's no place in the Bible that teaches that God is anti you having things in your life. It's not, not. But God is very concerned about things having you. When things rule you, when materialism rules you, you're, you're, you have an idol in your life, okay? When you worship your things instead of worshiping God, you're committing idolatry. Amen? If you worship a person apart from God, you're committing idolatry. Anything that you worship in place of God is idolatry. And this man actually had an idol in his life, and his idol it was his stuff. So he's worshiping his material stuff. And so Jesus said, there's one thing in the way of you experiencing all that God has for you. And that's that you don't, you don't know how to give. You don't know how to release. You've got this grip on stuff in your life that you're not willing to let go of. And the Bible says in verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Actually, the reality was the great wealth had him. Amen. Jesus looked around said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Not because richness is a, is a sin, but because so often when we get stuff, we hold it like this. It's my stuff. Instead of saying, God, it's not my stuff. Everything is your stuff. Amen? Would your life be different if you live with open hands instead of gripped hands? Your life, my life, would be radically different if we learned to do that. Samuel, excuse me, Hannah understood this with Samuel. Number four, giving expresses gratitude. The Bible teaches that one of the ways that you can say thank you to God is by, by giving. <clears throat> what do you naturally want to do when someone goes out of their way to do something good or exceptionally nice for you? What do you, what do you, what do you want to do? You want to say thank you. But also, oftentimes, what you want to do is give a gift, right? If you go to a nice restaurant and there's a wonderful server that takes care of you, and I mean, you just have an amazing, wonderful meal, but they're all, you're well attended to, at the end of the meal, you don't say, thank you, right? You might say thank you, but you usually add a little something extra to the thank you, amen? It's called gratuity. You know why it's called gratuity? What's the root word of gratuity? Gratitude, okay? And so your tip is a way of saying, I am grateful for the way you have taken care of me. And the same is true in every realm of life, that when you give to another person, you're giving to say, I I'm expressing my love to you. I'm expressing my gratitude to you. I'm expressing my thankfulness that you're in my life. That's why when young ladies are about to get engaged, they expect somewhere along the line something to show up called a diamond. Okay? Right? Because the diamond says, somebody's serious about me. Okay? They've actually put something out to give to say, I I'm not just, I'm just not looking for something to get. I'm, I'm giving to you to say, I want to make this commitment. It's my commitment of gratitude and thankfulness that you're in my life and I want you in my life for the rest of my life. Ingratitude is always expressed by a lack of generosity. People that are not generous are really what they're saying is they're not grateful. Psalm 107, 21 and 22. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice. What's the next phrase there? Thank offerings. What kind of offerings? See, a lot of people sacrifice ouch offerings, okay? Oh, that hurts to give. Oh, no. 
But God says, no, no, no. Offerings are meant to be something that you're thankful about. You express thanks and tell of his works with songs of joy. Number five, giving demonstrates grace. The two words that every believer needs to understand about their salvation. When you accept Jesus Christ in your life, you're born again. You become a new creation in Christ. And there are a lot of different elements to salvation. Let me talk about two words, mercy and grace. You're saved by God's mercy and you're saved by God's grace. Here's mercy. Mercy says you deserve to go to hell, but you don't have to go. Mercy is about not getting the punishment that you deserve. That's all mercy is. If you're guilty of a crime and you go before a judge, you say, Judge, I am pleading you, pleading for mercy. That is, I deserve to go to jail for 10 years, but would you, by your mercy, give me probation? Okay? You plea for mercy, okay? Grace is different. Grace, while it contains a dimension of mercy, the withholding of due punishment, grace is the giving and bestowing of blessing that is undeserved. So mercy says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Grace says, I'm going to give you blessings you don't deserve. Okay. Mercy is when a child breaks the rules in the family and you withhold your discipline from them Mercy is withholding the discipline. Grace is taking them out for ice cream. It's going beyond just I'm withholding something from you, but now I'm also going to give you something good that you don't deserve because of the badness that has been there. I'm glad that God has been merciful to me and God has been gracious to me. And one of the ways that he's shown his grace to me is by giving to me the gift of salvation. Grace is always demonstrated by giving, okay? God so loved the world that he gave, okay? And so we've got to get this. This changes everything. I'm telling you, folks, this message will change your life. It changed my life years ago. Just understanding the value of this thing. And grace doesn't have anything to do with what somebody deserves, okay? I've given things to people before that they didn't deserve. Amen? In fact, by nature, they would deserve something else, but I've given to them even when they didn't deserve it. Because that's how God is. Does God ever give you stuff you don't deserve? Ever give you blessings that you don't deserve? Of course. Every day, you get just, even life itself is a blessing you don't deserve. And so grace says, I give. I'm not always measuring whether somebody deserves it or not. No, I give because it is who I am. I give because I want to be like God in this nature. It is a free gift. By the way, do you know what Hannah, the name Hannah means? It actually means grace. So Hannah demonstrate her, demonstrated her gracious spirit by giving. Notice what Paul says about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. He's writing to the Corinthian believers, encouraging them to give to some needs that were represented in some of the churches. And he's encouraging them to give an offering, actually. And he writes and says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in other words, you, you, you're excellent in these areas, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of what? Paul said, you've got a lot of stuff going on good in your life, really great things happening, but, but there's one thing that you need to continue to work on that's learning to live in the grace of giving. Giving demonstrates grace. Two more and we'll be done. Giving requires stretching and creates growth. Giving does not come natural to us. It is something that is developed. 
And you and I, to develop it, we have to let God stretch us to become a giver. Because what happens is, as I mentioned a moment ago, is that we get, we get a big hold on things in our life, okay? Our time, our treasure, and our talents, right? And this is how we tend to hold them, like this. And God says, I want you to give some more time. I want you to start tithing. I want you to give the first 10% of that which I blessed you with. So I want you to start that in your life. And you're like, ugh. God, I want you, God says, I want you to start serving in a ministry. God, you got to be kidding. I can't do that. And our grip just gets tighter, tighter. I hope this bottle doesn't explode, okay? okay. And what happens is we, we become, when we grip like this, you always get smaller. You don't get bigger, okay? But when God challenges you to give, he, I'll tell you why. Because he sees a bigger you in you. Did you hear that? There's a bigger you in you that you don't even realize is there. But the only way you'll get to a bigger you is by learning to give. That when God challenges you to give something, for some of you it might be giving more time to God than you're giving to Him right now. For some of you it might be giving of your financial resources to the work of the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches us, and I'll talk about it very briefly in a moment. This is The purpose of this message is not this, but... But it starts with your giving of your first 10% to God. It's called a tithe. Okay? God says, I want you to give the first 10% of everything that comes into your, your, your resources. Give it to me. Plant it in my kingdom. And that might be something you've never done in your life. I promise you, you need to take that step because when you do that, it releases blessings to your life that are incredible. You can live, I promise you, in God's kingdom, you can live off 90% better than 100% when you give it to God. Okay? It just works that way, okay? Now, it's okay. You don't need to clap, okay? Because only half of you would anyway, so that's all right. So. <laughs> it might be engaging in a ministry somewhere, okay? It might be engaging in some aspect of your talent, using it for God. But God says, I want you to give that to me. And you're like, God, you've got to be kidding. I can't do that. Don't you know what my checkbook looks like? Don't you know how stretched my time is already? We create all these excuses, and God says, no, let me just pry your fingers away from that. And let me let you give that to me, and then what happens when you do that, you get bigger. And you realize, wow, that's incredible. God did help me to do that. And then there'll come another season that God will stretch you even further, and stretch you even further, and stretch you even further. I, I will not go into the any aspects of my own personal life today in that, that regard, but I can tell you that God has stretched me in ways. I, I, I would not have, I would tell you years ago, I would have never dreamed that I have the privilege of doing some of the things that I get to do, only because the pathway to it is through giving, okay? It's through giving. It's by being, God makes you bigger and he grows you bigger through those kinds of things in life. And so you've got to be willing to let him stretch you. Mark, Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Test me in this. Notice that test me in this. I'll come back to it in a moment. It says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured in your lap. Notice this phrase. By the way, Jesus says this, for with the measure you use, so who's using the measure? The measure you use, it will be, see, we're talking about stretching and growing. And so God says, I'll give you the choice. You can choose your measuring 
instrument. If you give with a spoon, what does God give with? Is that what does it say there? For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, right? So if you give with a spoon, if you give with a teaspoon, if you give with a tablespoon, if you give with a serving spoon, you give with a shovel, you give with a dump truck, okay? Do you believe the Bible to be true? That's what Jesus said. Last and final point here is that giving brings blessings. This story about Hannah, if you read further about the story, you'll see that after Hannah gave Samuel to the Lord, it was the only child she had, okay? Remember, she prayed and asked for a son. God gave her a son. He said, give me the son. I'll give him back to you, right? Right? Okay. She didn't have any other kids. That was the only child she had. So she goes back home. She doesn't have any kids. But God showed up in her life, and she ends up having Three sons and two daughters given to her by God. So the formerly barren woman who had cried out to God ends up with four sons and two daughters because you cannot outgive God. You can't outgive Him. It's impossible to outgive God because He by nature is a giver. That's who He is. You will never outgive God. And I will never never ever apologize for challenging you to be a giver. Why? Because I, my challenge to you for, to be a giver is actually the pathway to the blessing of God in your life. And so as a pastor, I'm just encouraging you. I want you to be blessed. Let me say something very quickly about blessing. I am not a pastor that preaches that blessing is all wrapped up and how much money comes back to you. Okay? Because blessing oftentimes has a lot more to do with so many other things than the money in your bank account. So I'm not, if you will, as has often been referred to, a prosperity preacher. But I do believe that there is prosperity for your life in a broader sense. There are a lot of people that have huge bank accounts and they're missing other kind of blessings in their life. So don't ever say it's all about money. It is not about money. It's about the blessing of God upon your life in multiple fashions and dimensions of your life. God is a blesser. You cannot Read the scripture without realizing that our God is a blessing God, okay? He's a blessing God. And there is no apology for preaching on the blessing of God. I'm just simply telling you it's never all about put the money in and get money back. That's not, you don't, this is not a quick, get uh, rich quick scheme, okay? As is often preached. It's not about that. But I do promise you that God will take care of you. Not because I promise you that the scripture says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Please notice it says that my God shall supply all your needs. It does not say my God shall supply all your greeds. Okay? Okay? It's a difference, okay? So God will take care of you and bless you. Listen one last time as we're wrapping up here. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Test me in this. This is the only time that I know about in Scripture where God says, test me. Put me to the test. Now, I will tell you, when God says, test me, pretty strong, isn't it? And by the way, the testing is in relationship to the tithe. Because that's the most, that, for many people, that's the, the toughest beginning point in their life. To make the decision to tithe as a 10%. That doesn't mean 2%. The word tithe actually means to a tenth portion. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much. Help me out, church. Pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. 
I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a grumpy giver. No, that's not what your Bible says. No. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to... Come on, church. God is able to bless you how abundantly so that in all things at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work as it is written they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor their righteousness endures forever now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched. I love this. You will be enriched in every way. You hear that? In every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity will result in thanksgiving. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Hannah was blessed through her giving. You will be blessed through your giving. One of the greatest choices you will ever make in your life is the choice to say, I will be a giver. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We ask you to take this word and apply it deeply to our hearts. We pray that we would learn and apply the lessons you've given us today. Thank you that you give us the choice to do it. Help us to be obedient, we ask in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. 
If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.